The scripture reading for the next homily can be found in your Pew Bibles, page 1074. The reading is from Galatians, chapter 1, verse 1 through 12. Paul, an apostle, sent not with human commission, nor by human authority, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our Father, uh, of our God and Father, whom to whom be glorified forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are, are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let that person be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let that person be under God's curse. I'm now trying to win human approval, or am I now trying to win human approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any human source, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Patricia quickly became a favorite in our class, and though we often uh, poke fun at her for her short stature, uh, there is no denying the fact that she truly owns the pulpit. Um, Growing up, I had no choice but to fall in love with the outdoors. My father was an outdoor enthusiast, and for those of you who are familiar with Pathfinders, uh, he really did have a master guide mentality. It's no surprise then that his favorite time of year uh, was our annual camping trip uh, to upstate Maine, where even our greatest iPhones and droids don't have cell phone service. Now, one year he was particularly excited because he had purchased a brand new axe at the local outdoor store. And he had spent uh, quite a great sum of money on on it, which I still shake my head at, but um, upon arriving to the campsite, the first thing he did was instruct us for the 15th or 16th time on how to properly use an axe. He emphasized the the necessity of a slow, steady stroke. And my brothers and I uh, were very, very uh, receptive and responsible with this message uh, at the beginning of the week. But as as the week wore on and we (laughs) began to get restless, we were looking for other ways to occupy our time. And when my father decided to take his traditional afternoon nap on Friday afternoon, uh, we thought that it would be cool if we could emulate what we had seen uh, in ESPN's World's Strongest Man competition. Now, for those of you who haven't seen that show, to to put it uh, in a brief way, it is a a group of brute individuals uh, who do 
just vile things in nature. And one of the competitions that they do is to see who can slice through the largest piece of wood with one swing of an axe. So we thought that we uh, would try to embody that sort of success in our own lives and quickly we were discovering that the slow steady approach that my father had prescribed was not working for the means in which we were trying to accomplish and fate would have it that me being the youngest son uh, would take the swing that went too far and as I approached a log that was probably half the size that I was at that time in my life I swung back with all that I had in my uh, short stature and instead of hitting the blade upon the axe, I struck the axe at the core of its handle and it shattered beneath my feet. Now I'll spare you the specifics of my father's reaction. You can insert your own colorful language or obscene gestures. Uh, but one thing I learned that day was that there's nothing more frustrating for a father figure or for a role model than for their words and their, for their advice to go untaken. Now, the Apostle Paul is facing a, a similar dilemma when, when writing the, uh, the book of Galatians. You see, he's writing a letter to a province of people in Galatia that he has already come into contact with. The book of Acts tells us two separate instances where Paul went to Galatia with Barnabas and Silas. So these are people that he's very familiar with. And more importantly, these are people who he himself has taught the gospel to. These are people who he loves and who he's invested in, and because of that, he's, he's invested in their salvation. Now, after Paul left Galatia, there have been a group of people called Judaizers who have infiltrated the region. Uh, and where Paul is preaching a, a, a cross and resurrection that is sufficient for salvation, these Judaizers are preaching something entirely contradictory. Uh, instead, of, instead of Christ's sacrifice and his resurrection that saves us, they're emphasizing the fact that the Mosaic law, that, that being circumcised or following uh, Moses' Ten Commandments, that is what saves you. And, and Paul, uh, in the process of defending himself, really emphasizes again his main points. You see, the Judaizers, while bringing up this contradictory message, are, in, are trying to tear down Paul. You see, in order to bring validity to their own claims, they're trying to, to bring down Paul in the process. So it's understandable then that Paul begins the letter to Galatia defending himself, saying that the very words that he is speaking come from God and come from Christ, essentially implying that if there's a problem with the words he's saying among that congregation, then they might want to reconsider because it's not a problem with him, but a problem with what God himself has spoken. And I find it interesting and ironic how history has a way of repeating itself over and over again. 2,000 years later, we're still struggling with this grace-law dichotomy in our own Adventist congregations. In our present context, we have plenty of Adventist Judaizers, if you will, who, who preach the sufficiency of the Ten Commandments or, more accurately, the fundamental 28 beliefs of our Adventist church and, and say that that will save you, unknowingly tearing down the sacrifice of Jesus Christ uh, as insufficient. But I don't believe that Paul has a problem exclusively with the law. I mean, in, in different books, even in the book of Romans, in, in chapter 6, Paul says, shall we get rid of the law so that grace may abound? Certainly not. We uphold the law. See, idealistically, the law and grace, as Patricia so eloquently said, go hand in hand. And the law isn't a problem in and of itself. The law becomes a problem when it steps 
in between you and our relationship with Christ. You see, the law becomes a problem when it oversteps its bounds and steps in front of the sufficient sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So it's not just the law that can become a problem then. In our present day culture and context, there are thousands of gospels vying for our attention. Some tend to be a lot more subtle and appealing than a legalistic portrayal. For some of us, it's the gospel of wealth that captivates our attention. It's the gospel that, that tells us if we're not billionaires by the age of 35, we're doing something wrong. It's the gospel that says that we need to spend 65 and 70 hour weeks in a small cubicle in order to work towards that next promotion so that we can finally have financial security in this life. For others of us, it's the gospel of, of seeking after acceptance. It's the gospel that, that, that preaches a GQ and Teen Vogue message. It's a gospel that is trying to get our youth to conform to a standard of this world before they are truly able to recognize their purpose and identity in Christ. See, anything that steps in between our relationship with Christ as sufficient and purpose in this life becomes a problem. The words of Elijah radiate through the Apostle Paul. How long will you choose between two options? If the Lord is God, serve him. Amen. And you're all familiar with the story in, in 1 Kings where, where Elijah is, is in the midst of a group of Israelites who are, who are tied between two options. On the one hand, they have their true, rich tradition and history in our God, Yahweh. And on the other hand, they are tempted to fall victim of the surrounding influence and the surrounding local regional god of Baal. So Elijah makes a plea to the Israelites and then acts upon it, uh, making a wager or striking a, a wager, if you will, with one of the local Baal prophets. He says, we're going to build two altars. One will represent our god, Yahweh. The other will represent your god, Baal. And how we'll know who the true god is, is we will see whose altar is consumed by their god. And you all know how the story goes. The Baal prophets make their altar first and they spend hours upon end uh, cutting themselves, screaming and yelling only for their altar not to be consumed. And I can't help but think of how many times I personally have looked for sufficiency, peace and grace and purpose in the things of this world only to be made a mockery of by those exact same things and the end result. How many times do you and I search for a purpose that only Jesus can give in a temporary thing in this earth? Is it any coincidence then that the book of Hebrews calls our God a consuming fire? Our God is the consuming fire. Our God is the purpose, the sufficiency. And so many times I think where where we are tempted to ask the question, why don't we experience God in the way that our New Testament authors were? And I think the fairly consistent message of all three of our authors in, in Paul, in, in the author of 1 Kings, Elijah, and, and in also the author of Hebrews, is that maybe we're not doing our part. Maybe we're not making God intentional. Maybe we're not making him the center of our lives. I know in my own life, I have tried many times to keep God as a containable flame, as, as, a, as a back pocket fire, and, and I'll keep the matches and gasoline at bay because I'm afraid to experience everything that God is because God is a consuming fire. But how do we expect to experience that type of flame when we are constantly putting God on the back burner? 
You see, God needs to be at the center of our decisions. God needs to be our purpose, our sufficiency. God needs to be a part of every decision that we make. And it is then and only then that we will experience the true sufficient fire that is our God. Amen.